Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm your host, Jerry Nowicki, and shortly I'll be joined by the other half of our current State House reporting duo, Peter Hancock. As the Associated Press was reporting Friday that negotiations about President Joe Biden's $3.5 trillion 10-year spending plan had hit a stalemate, the director of the White House's National Economic Council was appearing virtually with Governor J.B. Pritzker to sell the president's domestic agenda. The pitch from Economic Council Director David Kamen came five days before Biden himself is slated to visit Illinois next Wednesday to promote the COVID-19 vaccine. At that visit, Pritzker said he plans to attend, but few details are known otherwise at this time. The Friday pitch sounded similar to one Illinoisans have become familiar with ahead of the 2020 November election. That is, the wealthiest among us must pay their fair share in taxes. Pritzker had self-funded a series of television ads with a similar message last year in support of a graduated income tax state constitutional amendment, a proposal that Illinoisans soundly rejected. But the discussion also focused on child care and other economic investments. Here is Governor Pritzker, who also touted an $870 million investment his administration has made in child care-related grants and expenditures that were largely funded by the American Rescue Plan Act, which Biden signed into law earlier this year. I think the question we all want answered is, what's the best return on investment to address areas of highest need? And here's my answer. Whether you want to support the current workforce, lower crime rates, increase high school graduation, improve the health of our people, or close the the gender wage gap, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better place to start than quality childcare and early childhood education. And that's why, among many reasons, President Biden's Build Back Better agenda is so critical. The nation's childcare systems were struggling before the pandemic propelled it into crisis. Now, staffing challenges are soaring. Parents, especially mothers, who want to work are staying home to watch their children. The pay gap for childcare workers has deepened. And all of this is not only causing financial hardship for parents, but also holding back our economic recovery. Now, the actual bill language for the so-called Build Back Better agenda is still very much being negotiated in Congress. Democratic leadership is trying to wrangle their moderate and progressive wings to ensure their razor-thin majorities will support whatever final plan comes before them. But a review of the White House's website shows Biden's plan would ensure that no middle-class family pays more than 7% of their income for high-quality child care up to age 5, and the neediest families would have access to free child care. It also states a goal of making universal preschool a reality and instituting 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave. It would also extend the child tax credit expansion approved in the American Rescue Plan Act earlier this year. So here's National Economic Council Director David Kamen on the plan and how the administration would pay for it. It's those kinds of investments that led um, 17 Nobel Prize winners to recently um, declare that this plan would expand the economy and lower costs for families looking ahead. It's why um, Moody's, for instance, found that the Build Back Better plan would expand the economy, economy by over $4 trillion over the coming decade. 
And it does so in a way that improves fairness and asks the very richest Americans and the high and the largest corporations to pay their fair share while also making sure that we cut taxes for over 50 million middle class families and making sure that we don't raise taxes one cent on any family making less than $400,000. Kamen said Biden's plan would repeal some of the tax cuts passed under President Donald Trump in 2017, uh, especially for corporations and high-income Americans, while it would cut tax rates for middle-class Illinoisans, specifically those making under $400,000. So in the question-and-answer session following the event, Pritzker was asked by Crane Chicago Business about the similarities to the graduated income tax vote that failed in Illinois. But that was an effort to change the state's flat tax system to one more similar to the one the federal government already operates, which applies differing tax rates to varying levels of income. Why should Congress do what the people of Illinois said they weren't willing to do in Illinois? Well, you know that I believe that we should give a break to working class Americans, to middle class Americans. And uh, so it's very important to me to try to shape a tax system that is fairer. And that's what I was trying to do with the fair tax. There are lots of different ways to do it. I think Congress is now going about it in a slightly different way than we are. You know, we were adjusting, uh, you know, a a uh, tax system that had been flat tax for forever, um, and or at least since the 1970 uh, Constitution was created. And so, you know, I'm glad that the federal government is going at this. I'm glad the president is. Uh, I think it's important for us to ask, especially after this very, very difficult uh, COVID-inspired recession, uh, that, you know, as people are recovering, who should pay uh, to help us recover more? Uh, is it middle class, working class people, or is it people who can most afford it? Okay, with that, I'll welcome in Peter Hancock. Uh, Peter, welcome. I know you and I don't quite follow the uh, federal government as well as we do state government, but um, what can you tell us about where we are with the Build Back Better agenda and what some of the roadblocks might be? Okay, well, we both just kind of watch this from afar here in Springfield, uh, but there are times when what happens in Congress has a big impact on state government. And so where we are right now is that there are two bills before the U.S. House in Washington. One is a $1 trillion infrastructure bill that has already passed the Senate. The other is uh, President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, uh, which is a general term to refer to his whole domestic policy agenda. There's a $3.5 trillion budget bill that the Democrats want to get through, and they're going to have to use this process called reconciliation, uh, which gets around the Senate rules where Republicans would be able to filibuster it. Um, so it looks like those are one or both of those are going to come up Monday, Tuesday of next week. The problem that uh, Democrats have right now is they have only a very slim majority in the House and what amounts to a one-vote majority in the Senate. So they can't afford to lose any Democratic votes because they're not expecting to get any Republicans on board. So uh, I think there's still some negotiating going on. I think there are some moderate Democrats who are a little bit nervous about the $3.5 trillion budget bill. Of course, everybody wants the infrastructure bill. That's roads and bridges and, uh, I think, 
water line replacements and things like that, the basic bricks and mortar of the American infrastructure. Um, and that would have a big impact in Illinois as well. Uh, but the, the hang-up here is this $3.5 trillion spending bill, uh, domestic spending bill, and trying to get all of the Democrats on board. And, of course, the Democrats uh, are not a monolithic entity. They, uh, there is division within the ranks. And so we're just going to have to see how that, how that plays out. But it should be coming up early next week. Right. And we'll see where the votes are. If anything goes off the rails, as you know, by covering state government, anything can happen really at any time with, with this stuff. Uh, you got these late amendments and whatnot. But uh, so if Biden got everything he wanted with the plan, which, you know, never really happens to be the case. Uh, some of the things he'd focus on is lowering higher education costs and prescription drug costs and health care costs, housing costs, which are all things that obviously sound great, but you see the implementation is the devil really in the details. And then uh, work job trainings and then some clean energy stuff, um, which is lowering carbonization rates and some of the stuff we really kind of tried to do here uh, in terms of the Illinois General Assembly um, in a recent energy bill that we've discussed ad nauseum in the past. So, the other hang-up here is that much of it would be funded with tax increases on corporations and the very wealthy. Uh, of course, Governor Pritzker, as you mentioned that earlier, uh, Governor Pritzker tried to do something similar with the graduated income tax amendment, and it didn't go through the voters. So uh, that could get really tricky. Uh, and again, I'd just say Democrats are not all of one voice on some of these things. Um, so one of the other uh, things, one of the other wings to the Build Back Better agenda as a, as a whole was the American Rescue Plan Act, which lawmakers really worked to pass really quickly into the Biden administration, which has given Illinois billions of dollars and every state billions of dollars to kind of work uh, to, to rebuild the economy after the COVID-19 crisis. Can you talk a little bit about what the American Rescue Plan Act, I know I mentioned that a lot of the child care expenses and whatnot have come yeah. from that money. But Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of it has gone to help subsidize child care uh, providers who were very hard hit by the pandemic. There have also been some uh, grants to small businesses that were hard hit. Uh, here recently, just this past week, the governor announced a couple of things. Uh, one is about $44 million in workforce training grants that are going to go out, uh, focusing on communities and industries that have been hardest hit by the pandemic, uh, trying to get workers to fill in uh fill in for labor shortages that exist in a lot of industries. And there's also a small amount of it, $4.4 million, uh, going to youth uh, career pathway training, uh, trying to get uh, high school-aged children mainly. Um, they're called pre-apprenticeship programs. So get them in the building and construction trades, uh, get them some sort of job training, and that's going to be focused on uh, kids, especially kids who are at risk of either dropping out or dropping out of high school or being the victims of violence in their communities. Uh, and there, I think 20 organizations around the state uh, received funding through that. They just opened a round, the first round of these workforce 
recovery grants um, that will go out. Uh, there's 40 million of that available. Uh, they just opened up applications for the first 20 million of it. There should be another 20 million going out sometime in the spring. Right. And so Illinois still has, I think it's roughly about four to five billion remaining in the Rescue Plan Act funds. And one of the things they're considering is using it for uh, to pay down a deficit in the uh, Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, uh, which a lot of states have begun the process of doing to replenish their trust funds to a point where they were prior to the pandemic, but not beyond that. And that's just sort of the money, the pot of money that uh, funds unemployment claims and really is the social safety net for the people who've lost jobs during the pandemic. And um, I talked to a lawmaker earlier, Jay Hoffman, uh, a Democrat from downstate who really is one of the lead point guys on the unemployment. And he said they're really beginning the discussions and beginning to understand where we're at with the deficit now that some of the federal enhanced benefits have ended. And um, it, it's looking between 4.2 and 5 billion that the deficit will be. And uh, come the veto session, they're considering uh, a measure that would extend the date. Um, at the at the beginning of next year, there'd be some major increases to the employer's tax that pays into that, and a decrease to the benefits that people can claim. Uh, but they're looking at putting off the date uh, a little bit longer to when that uh, those penalties would take effect. Yeah, and I think there was also some hope for a while that maybe we would get some federal relief on that. Essentially, we had to borrow money from the federal government uh, to pay out the unemployment benefits uh, because the state's trust fund had run dry, as it had in many states around the country, because we went through this period of just unprecedented, in modern times, unemployment during the pandemic. So eventually the money's going to have to get back if uh, the federal government is not going to be willing to absorb it themselves. So I expect that's going to be something that will come up in the veto session, uh, which is scheduled to begin October 19th. And yeah, that that, that was another point that uh, Hoffman had made, that there could still be federal uh, funds through some of these programs. But anyway... You know, as we're getting ready and preparing to do this podcast, the governor took a major action today. And what was that, Peter? Uh, he signed the revised legislative maps. Um, and this is something the state has to do every 10 years in response to the census to adjust for population shifts in different parts of the state. Uh and it's really complicated. Uh, the map, they initially passed a map in May, I believe, or early June, uh, in order to meet the Illinois Constitution's June 30th deadline. Uh, Republicans took that to court, and it, in federal court in Chicago, saying it was unconstitutional. When we finally did get the census numbers in August, they went back and looked at it, and indeed the population variations among districts were way beyond what is allowed under the U.S. Constitution, the one-person-one-vote rule. Uh, so they came back in August. They redid the maps in accordance with the official census numbers, and now uh, Republicans are arguing it's too late. You were after the June 30th deadline. Democrats are saying, no, no, we passed a map by the June 30th deadline, but there's this tricky uh, element within the state constitution 
that says if no redistricting plan is effective by June 30th, then it goes to this bipartisan uh, legislative commission. And, of course, that's what Republicans want because then there would be a 50-50 chance that they could gain a partisan advantage in the process. Um, So we're waiting on a federal court to decide whether or not the first map was constitutional. And from there, we expect uh, Republicans to go to the Illinois Supreme Court and try one last time uh, to get a judicial order to send this back to a bipartisan commission. Uh, but for now, we have maps in place. They've been signed into law, and I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of people who are planning to run for office or run for re-election. Of course, we had to push the primary back from March until, what is it, June, June of next year. Uh, be, and that's another thing which I, we expect to come up in the veto session is they still have not done congressional reapportionment. Uh, they have to draw new congressional maps, and Illinois is losing a congressional seat, so we go from 18 down to 17. And uh, I imagine that they are working on that behind closed doors as they always do, but eventually they'll have to come out and hold some public hearings. And they're going to have to get that through probably during the veto session or a special session. At least, I guess, the governor gave us a couple hours before the end of the work day uh, when he signed it. I guess it's better to sign it at 2.30 p.m. than 5 p.m. Yeah, well, at least he got it done. So that'll be it for this episode of Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois, which is a state house reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation and the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. Thank you, as always, for listening.